as part of your weekend plans. Uh, I hope it'll be beneficial because what we're talking about today is I think something that's relevant to many of us because we're going to talk about a fight. We're going to talk about the Bible says that we're in a fight and what does it mean to fight well and what are we fighting for and I want us to think about that and sometimes the way we fight, we're fighting against something that's the wrong thing or we're fighting it the wrong way and and I just want to talk about today about what it means to be a fight because that's what's next in Ephesians. We spent the summer in Ephesians and we've just kind of worked our way through and we, our goal was to dive in, dig in, and mark it up to really dig all we can out of this letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote to a church 2,000 years ago that still has very valuable stuff for us today about who God is, understanding Jesus and understanding who we are in Christ, and then how do we live that out practically on a daily basis. And one of our goals is not just to dig into it up in here, but help equip you to get, dig into it on your own. Engaging in scripture, we think, is critical to your spiritual transformation. We want you to have a Bible in your hand every day, not because you have to, but because there's something there for you. So we want to equip you, because a lot of you have felt at times I've tried to do that and it didn't go so well. So in the last couple of weeks, we've given these four questions as a tool to help that as you're trying to understand, ask, what does it say? Anytime you're reading any kind of scripture, what does it say? But then do the hard work of trying to interpret it and say, what does it mean? What does that really mean? That can be a little bit harder, but it's, you can do this. And then look for cross-references actually saying, what else does it say? Not because you're trying to change the subject and you don't want to say, well, I don't like that. Let's talk about something else for a while. What else does it say that could inform what I'm reading here? Using a concordance or just searching for words that are similar. And then apply, what will I do? What do I do now with what I just read? Putting it into practice. Now, as you're trying to understand, interpret, and, and apply it to your life, uh, there's something that's been helpful for me. It's a tool that I would encourage you to do. When you're reading scripture, look for these things because words matter. Look for things that are emphasized. When the Bible emphasizes a word in one way or the other, pay attention to it. Look for things that are repeated. We're going to see several examples of that today. When it repeats something, it's trying to say something. It's trying to stand out and make something known, and then look for things that are related or alike. Look for words like like or, or like as or like of things that are comparing. When it says this, the kingdom of heaven is like, pay attention to that. And then also things that are true to life. You'll read things in scripture one time, sometimes, and you'll go, boy, that is exactly what I'm going through right now. And look for things that actually can touch everyday life already. But my thing, the, the thing about the Bible is, it's all true to everyday life if you understand how to understand, interpret, and apply it to your life. So let's dive into a passage and ask some questions that might be able to help us. Again, we're going to look for things that are repeated or emphasized and things like that. Ephesians chapter 6, we're almost done with Ephesians. Just two more weeks and we're done with Paul's letter. But I will tell you this, there are two actually big themes that we decided we need to learn more about that and lean into it. So there are going to be two more future series uh, that coming out of this. But we're about to wrap up with Ephesians in here. I hope that you'll keep reading in this letter because it's so critical. Paul wraps it up and says, finally, so he's wrapping things up in his letter, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Then he tells us how. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if, when, 
you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. So he says, finally, there's this continuation of thought. Everything he said so far, he says, here's what's important. With all that in mind, here's what I want to ask you to do. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And what he says is, you're in a fight. And the problem is, you may not even know you're in a fight. And if you don't know you're in a fight and you're in a fight, you've probably already lost the fight. So he says, put on the full armor of God. Take your stand. For many of us, we don't understand what the Bible says again and again and again is that life is a battleground. There's a battle taking place around you, within you. It's a battle. It's a battleground, not a playground. So you've got to fight. And for many of us, the problem is we're fighting the right battles, but we're fighting it in the wrong way. Or we're fighting the wrong battles in the wrong way, or maybe even the right way, but it's the wrong battle. Or for many of us, we don't even know we're in a battle at all. And if you don't know you're in a battle, you may have already lost. And one of the biggest challenges we have in fighting well in life is knowing what kind of fight we are actually in. So Paul tells us, like I said, look for words that are repeated. And it's not in this passage, but if you're reading this letter straight through, this word would have come out five times. So when you look for things that are repeated, this is one of them. It's this word, heavenly realms. Heavenly realms. Paul uses it five times, but with some broader context that each verse alone sheds light on. The first one is, he starts off the letter, Ephesians 1 verse 3, it says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So that's where we've been blessed, in the heavenly realms. All right, that sounds awesome. Well, what does that mean? It says it in, in, in chapter 1 verse 20. Talking about the power that's worked within you when you give your life to Christ and he gives his life to you to live his life in you and through you. He says this, that power in you is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. How cool is that? And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So Jesus raises from the dead through the same power God was using that he's using in you right now. And he seated Christ at at, at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. There's that word again. Then he says it in chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. So we're, that's like Jesus' party of however many. Like we're seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Because we're in Christ, we're seated there with him at the right hand of the Father. What does that mean? Because I usually think of heavenly heavenly as, as later on. But he says, no, like right now, that's your standing. You've got a seat at the table in the heavenly realms. That in the coming ages, future, he might show the incomparable, Comparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Then chapter 3, verse 10, it says it again. His intent was that now, through the church, God's gathering of his people, the manifold wisdom of God, God's wisdom, should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then it's this fifth time in chapter 6 we just read. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And what Paul says in some several different expressions, but it's one common theme, the battle we are fighting is a spiritual battle. The challenge for many of us, and for some of us are losing the fight, is because we try to fight spiritual battles with only practical solutions. 
But hear me very carefully. There are practical solutions. There are things that could help you in your relationships with your husband, with your wife, with your kids, with your parents. There are things that can help you with your finances and things that can help you with your fear, your anger, depression, anxiety, loneliness, addiction. There are a lot of practical things, but if you only fight these battles with practical solutions and don't realize there's an underlying spiritual battle, you're leaving the best resource off the table. I'll give you an example from finances. The Bible has a lot to say about how we handle money. And so I can look to some practical solutions and say, boy, I know if I don't have a budget, my money will go wherever it wants. And I'll look back and go, where did it go? Because I didn't decide it ahead of time where it should go. A budget is a practical solution that sets you up for success. So is saving for a future, the future. The Bible talks about how it's important to save for the future. It talks a lot about debt and the danger you can get into with debt. There are practical things you could do to help you with your finances. But when you decide not just to involve God in your finances, but actually put him at the center of your financial life, it can be a game changer. Because a lot of times the spiritual going on, battle going on isn't about where am I spending my money? I'm being careless with my money. It might be a spiritual battle that I need to recognize that I'm finding. And sometimes when I recognize that the battle is, is practical, but not practical only, but also spiritual, it takes it to a different level. Talk about relationships, whether it be in marriage, parenting, friendship, dating, whatever it is. When I don't just kind of think about what are some great parenting or marriage or dating or friendship tips that can help me, there are some great practical advice and tools that can help you. But a lot of times what's at stake is something bigger than your finances or your relationships. It's your heart. It's your soul. And there's this battle waging and we're fighting, trying to figure out why can't I just get this relationship to go in the right direction? Or why does I, do I go this direction and suddenly it just things fall apart internally for me? Because the battle's not just practical, it's spiritual. And we realize there's a spiritual battle at place. And what we do is we think, okay, I'm going to involve God with my finances. Or I'm going to involve God with my dating. Or involve God with my, with my family. Involving him is, that's a good step. But can I be honest? What Ephesians tells us and the Bible tells us, Jesus says this. What does he want from you? Everything. He wants us to have everything we have given to him. Because what has he given for you? everything. And trust me, this is the best trade ever. I'm a hockey fan and I hate this time of year because there's really nothing happening but free agent trades, but I love those because I'm watching going, did my team just get better or why didn't they do this? And I live in that whole world. And sometimes you see a trade and go, what were they thinking? This last week was the anniversary of the trade of all trades in the world of hockey because somebody was traded from Ed the Edmonton Oilers to the Los Angeles Kings. Does anybody know who it is? I have succeeded as a pastor. <laughs> that some of you knew what that was. And maybe you didn't know it because of me. He was called the great one. And I don't know if he's the greatest one that ever. But he holds most of the records. But when he got traded, it changed the game of hockey. And the Los Angeles team, uh, Kings made out like bandits. That doesn't connect with many of you, 
But what you need to know is if you ever made that trade and said, God, I give you everything and I know it's hard for me and you've gotta, I've got to work to kind of get some stuff out of my hands. But when I give you everything and Jesus says, I'm already given everything for you and to you and every spiritual blessing and everything he promises. When he gave his life for you at the cross so he could give his life to you through his Holy Spirit, he's given you everything. You're winning in that trade. You're getting more than you could possibly ask or imagine is what Paul tells us in Ephesians. You've gotten everything. But we're reluctant because we, what we think about is that the battle is only practical. It is a spiritual battle as well. And I want to say this, like for some of us, there are some practical solutions that we need. Pray for your health. Go to the doctor. Like pray, pray for your mental health. But sometimes you need a practical solution. Sometimes depression or anxiety or other issues come into play. And you feel like I'm not a spiritual person if I go to a doctor. Or if I go to a counselor. Or if I just tell somebody what I'm struggling with. There are times where people will shame someone for asking for help. And say, where is your faith or where are your prayers? Yes, it's a spiritual battle. Please don't just involve him. Give him everything. Put him at the center of your life. But never be shamed because you need help with an addiction or depression, suicidal thoughts. God cares about you and your mental health. And he created the world. And sometimes it's a chemistry issue, not a faith issue at, played, at playing kind of in your, in your system. Seek practical tools. But never forget, it is also a spiritual battle at the core. And when you try and wrap your head around, what does it mean that we're in a spiritual battle? Paul makes it very clear. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against this. He uses this word in several different phrases in, in the next verse. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Against the powers of this dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's a spiritual battle. So that when the day of evil comes, not if, but when, the day of evil comes, you're able to stand your ground. He said, we're in a spiritual battle and there's an evil enemy. And if I don't know my enemy, I'm vulnerable and confused about the fight. Here's some of the things the Bible says about our enemy, and they're not gonna be on the screen, but the references are in your program. 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are children of God. I hope you know that, because if you don't know that, you're already losing the battle. Or you haven't put yourself in a place to know who you could be in Christ if you're to put your life in his hands. At some point, you have to say, I wanna be adopted into his family. Do that. But if you know you're a child of God, there is something that the battle is, is, is so in the battle it's so important he goes on to say we know that we're children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one the whole world is under the influence there are influences in this world what part of it every part of it you can't find a corner of the world where this battle's not going on Jesus said this in John 8 44 talking about the evil one the devil he says the devil was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. 
And that's what the enemy does. He gets us to believe things that aren't true. And sometimes it's a promise that it can't, whatever he is promising or the world is promising or this choice is promising can never live up to, but he sells a false bill of goods and you buy it. And then afterwards he becomes an accuser and says, you're wrong, you're shameful, you don't deserve a seat at God's table anymore. How dare you think you could go in there and teach a small group, lead a small group of kids. I know what you did last night. He sells you one thing and then blames you for taking it. That's what Jesus says. Truth matters, not just about what is true that's written, but what's, what you believe about who you are and who God is and who you are because of Jesus. So Peter tells us this, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. It's a battle all, over the, all throughout history, all throughout humanity. The spiritual battle goes on. And then John, one of the disciples, wrote this. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, meaning people who are trying to teach and put things that are not true in your head, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. When Christ is in you, you're winning the battle. It's, that's the starting place, is always with putting my life, all of it, in Jesus' hands. And what happens is the enemy tries to do things that draws you away from your identity in Christ, that draws you away that, God, does God really have your best interest in mind? Sometimes it's to make you doubt that God loves you. Sometimes it's to doubt that you need God. But he's always lying. And we take the bait, and then he blames us for taking it. And a lot of times his goal is to divide us, because if, if they can get us apart or alone, we're much more vulnerable. So Paul goes on to say this. He goes, this is what God wants to do in the battle. He wants us, and here's a word that's repeated, stand. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And then down at the bottom, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. That God's desire is not that you just endure it, but that you stand in it. And he kind of makes this point that you stand your ground. And what Paul tells us throughout Ephesians is stand grounded in your identity of who is Jesus, who am I in Christ, and how do, what does it look like to live that out on a daily basis? And he says, finally, he's saying, everything I've said so far, this is how you stay in the battle. How? Everything I've said so far, not just that, but also what I'm about to say next. And next he tells us, therefore, put on the full armor of God. That's kind of the challenge of how you stand in the battle. And then you kind of go, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? And he lists these different pieces. Now, remember, it says this in verse 14. Stand firm then. He tells us that we can stand. Stand is repeated again. Paul is in jail as he's writing this. And he's probably saying, I've used theological words and words that have helped my understanding mentally and, and with my faith of what it means to trust God. How can I describe this battle? And he probably looked up and saw this Roman soldier that's guarding him as he's in prison. And he said, like, like that, that guy goes into battle ready. He's geared up. And as he talks about this gear, the, the, the question we should be asking is, am I using every resource that God provides to help me stand in the battle? And he says, here are some resources to consider. And he lists off seven. And he says, there's the belt of truth. Now, I, I, we've seen movies like Gladiator and things like that of Roman soldiers and for whatever reason, they're always going to a toga party. They've got that long flowing robe and 
while it might probably had great ventilation, like it probably wasn't very practical. Uh, you know, I didn't work in the first service. I don't know why I talked about ventilation. That day just probably should have <laughs> never say that again. But what they would do is they'd have these belt because when it came to be go time, they're basically wearing a bathrobe. They're going to a toga party and you can't really run or operate and it's a windy day. There's all kinds of issues. And so they had this belt and what they would do is they would gird up their loins and they would kind of hitch up their britches. They would, I'm not going to at all try and mimic what they're doing. They would tighten their belt and hold the robe in place at a higher level where they could move around and run freely. When Paul saw them, they were inside the walls of a prison. Probably not a lot of battles going on. So they would be in a more relaxed state, so they, state, so they would kind of let their toga party self kind of go and take off their belt. But the belt was what held everything together. It held everything in place. And he says, what does that for you is truth. And there are things rolling in your head, around in your head right now that you got to lock down. The other day I was driving and I stopped and something rolled out from under my seat and got under the brake pedal on the floor, floorboard. And the car was going at speed, but now my heart was speeding much faster as I realized, why aren't I stopping? And I'd love to tell you it was one of my kids' water bottles. There were three of them in the car, at least at the time, rolling around in the back seat and the front seat over there. This was my cup. That morning, I had been at Rudy's with some other guys, and we were reading through something in the Bible, and I didn't finish my unsweet tea, and so I take it out, and I finish it up, eventually pour it out. I just, I might use this cup later, so I just set it down, and it came out for a little surprise, a little surprise party when it was time to stop, and I couldn't stop. It rolled loose, but fortunately, if it had been one of those water bottles, my car, the, the pedal wouldn't have gone to the floor. I just had to push really hard because this plastic thing had some give. I was able to stop just much slower than I wanted. The problem was there was something there that was unsecured and it rolled around into a spot that created a wedge between me and what needed to happen in that moment. And that's what unsecure lies or false truth or half truth does in our mind. And when you believe something untrue about God, yourself, others, anything it's rolling around loose and eventually it comes and it puts a wedge between you and what will give you life or protect your life. What goes in your mind, what you focus on in your mind, it needs to be truth. And God's truth is always the best because we have obstructed view seats. You ever bought tickets to something that had obstructed view seats? The great thing is they're cheaper, but you, never, you show up kind of going, I don't know what this is going to mean. And recently, I had a chance to go to a sporting event, and I was buying tickets, and I could buy these really cheap t- tickets that were obstructed view, but I thought, what does that mean? And I'm kind of going because I want to see the thing, and just the best way I can say it is, for me, I'm almost always in obstructed view seats due to the height differential between me and the people in front of me, so I'm like, I'm not going to add to the problem, so... I'm going to pay for the other seats because I wanted the best view possible. Here's the truth about us in life. We have obstructed view seats. I cannot see what's coming next in life. I have plans for what's next, but I can't see everything that's going to happen next. I can't even see what's going on right now with the best perspective because I have biased and, you know, sometimes 
different things cloud my judgment. And even looking at my past, sometimes I'm not seeing that clear enough, although I can see it clear, the one who has the best perspective of God. So why would I not build my life on his truth? And it's the thing that's first on Paul's list. Maybe that means it's first priority. Lock down things that aren't true and focus on what is and let God be that guide for you to what's truth. Paul tells this to the church in Corinth. He says, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, the weapons we fight with have the power to divine, the divine power to demolish strongholds. If you have things in your life that feels like a stronghold of the enemy or a place where you're losing the battle, pay attention to this. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against Here's where a battle can be won or lost, the knowledge of God, knowing who God is and what he thinks of you, what he's done for you, who you are in Christ is part of the battle. It's the starting place. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Lock down what's unsecure and take that truth and put it in the hands of Jesus and say, would you make sure that you would be the way, the truth, and the life for me and filter out anything that's not that way? Paul goes on and lists another piece of armor. He calls it the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate protected the heart, kind of the life center of who we are physically. And when the Bible uses the term heart, it means the center of your identity, your desires, your hopes, your dreams, your will. It's where we make our decisions from, and it's really why we get into trouble. That's why I will often say, follow your heart is terrible advice. The heart's deceitful above all things is what Jeremiah tells us in the Bible. Be careful about following your heart because it's at the center of the battle. Your identity, and here it's the breastplate of righteousness. It's about the heart of who do I believe I am in Christ. And the lack of truth that will come into our minds is this idea that maybe you're really not in right standing, which is a way to think of righteousness, right standing with God. We are in right standing because of Jesus and what he's done for us. And when I'm in Christ, that's what God sees when he looks at me. But the enemy will say, you are not in right standing. Let me show you a look at the leaderboard. You're not on the top. No, Jesus is. But if I'm in in Christ, I'm with him. That's what he sees. Not my resume, Jesus' resume. And what he will do is do one of two things. Say, you are not in right standing with God. Or he will say, it doesn't matter. You don't need him. Actually, you are in right standing with God. You're good. Don't lean into Jesus. You're a good person. I've seen your resume. It's quite impressive. You're good. You don't need Jesus. And he tries to divide us and distance us from our heavenly father. The heart, our identity, our right standing with God is at the heart of who we are. And it should drive our desires and our decisions. And then he says... Whenever you think the battle's just about you, you need to realize it's about others as well. You need to know about what it means to be right with God because of Jesus, that it's a free gift because of God's grace. But we need our feet fitted with the readiness to spread the gospel of peace. That the good news of Jesus means peace between us and God and us with, and with ourselves and us with others and us with the world. That God, the gospel, the good news of Jesus brings peace. And this is the one time it starts talking about moving forward in the battle like Put on your shoes that help you be part of God's battle of helping others experience this as well. A readiness to spread the good news by experiencing it first, living out of that, and then telling others of that. 
It's engaging in God's mission. And there's something about the battles we fight that we end up fighting for others. It helps us with the battle we're fighting for ourselves. It helps us know we're not alone. It helps others know they're not alone. But there's something that he says, be ready to go spread this. Then he talks about the shield of faith. Man, I love in those movies like Braveheart or movies where they've have the, they're fighting and they all have shields and the archers go back and they shoot the arrows and all of a sudden they wait and then someone does some kind of command and they all kind of, they go like that and they all of a sudden it's like, man, they're a turtle. Look at that. Like all of a sudden it's like they got this little dome going on and all the, the arrows go, thump, 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 thump into the shield and then they turn around and it's Braveheart. They go, ah, they rattle their shields or whatever and Romans just stand there and go, bring it on and it's like, wow, that's so awesome. There's always that one guy who like, it, the arrow just kind of goes right through or somehow like, I forgot my shield, guys. I'm so sorry. The, oh, you gotta get, take him out. Like, there's always that one guy that never quite gets under the shield. The shield is what stands between them and what could do them danger. And God says, what does that for you is your faith. When you stand behind your faith, your belief and your trust in all that God is and all that God says and all that you are because of what he's done for you, it extinguishes the, the arrows of the enemy. It puts them out. They can't do any damage. Stand behind your faith. It's your greatest asset, not just in the battles, but in life. And when you build a big faith in a big God, it makes a big difference. And he says the shield of faith. And then there's the helmet of salvation. If the heart is vulnerable, that we all know that the mind is as well. Protecting the head and the mind, and it's of salvation, of knowing that you are, because of God's saved you, you are in Christ. And again, he will put doubts about God, that you are in good standing with God, that you are saved, saved because of what Jesus has done, or that do you really need that? I mean, you're a pretty good person. And what Jesus wants us to know is that we are his kids and we are safe and secure and no one can snatch us from his hand. But the enemy wants to divide us from God to conquer us. And then he says the sword of the spirit, which he clarifies as the word of God. And you don't have to go here for very long to understand we place a high priority on you engaging scripture on your own because this is the sword of the spirit. It's the word, it's the word of God. It's truth. It does, helps you understand all these things that Paul's talking about. And when you engage the scripture, we believe you're not just engaging it, you're engaging with God. And he'll be there to guide you and help you understand and apply this to your life. That's why we make it a high priority to engage it personally. And then the last one he says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions. We're gonna talk about this one next week. So I won't spend a lot of time on that. But in, back to verse 10, he says this, finally. He's wrapping up and I'll say, finally, as I speak to you this morning, which is when a pastor says that, never believe them, but I am trying to land the plane here. Finally, it's, it's such a nervous laughter right there. I appreciate that. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. What he's saying is put on every resource that helps you fight your spiritual battles. The question we have to ask is, are, am I, are we, are you utilizing every resource God wants to provide to fight your battles? And if you're not, then why not? Why would you leave anything on the table? I have a theory about that. Because some of the resources he wants to help provide you, for you to fight your battle is about an area you don't quite want to give up. God, I give you everything. How about this? Nope, I'm good. I can't give that to you. Because, and there's lots of different reasons. And I'm the same way. We, we all struggle with that. It's part of the battle. 
It's part of understanding, and all these pieces speak to it. But there's something about us not wanting to give it up, and sometimes the biggest opponent in the battle is us, because my friend Ron used to say this. He said, Doug, he goes, there's a spiritual battle always happening in your life. You know who decides who wins? I said, no. He goes, you do. By saying, I'm going to lean into Jesus, that wins the battle. So sometimes the problem is we're holding something back so we don't utilize every resource that God has for us. We don't fully lean into his truth or into his giving him control. But here's the other thing that changes it. Years ago, a friend of mine who does martial arts and his instructor has this whole big history with it. Years ago before MMA and UFC, ultimate fighting kind of got big, uh, it was out there and especially in Brazil, like it was big and I would watch these videos of it. It's like, wow, that's crazy. And my friend, who was a martial arts instructor, I said, hey, I think I could take you. And he said, no, you couldn't. I said, okay. And he said, but I'll tell you what. He said, I'll fight you. And I won't use my hands, my arms. I said, well, you'll kick me. He said, I won't kick you. But I guarantee you, you'll tap out. I said, okay. And he said, Doug, if you beat me, I'll give you $1,000. Really? No arms? No kicking? Yeah? No biting? No, no biting. Okay. All right. And as I'm about to kind of go, $1,000? Just for, I don't even have to, that's if I win? He ups he the ante. That makes me lean in a little bit more. He goes, Doug, I'll give you $100 just for stepping on the mat. Win or lose? Yeah. And I'm about to say yes, and he goes, and I'll give you $100 if you walk off the mat. Did you just say if? <laughs> no, he said if you can walk off the mat. That's what he said. So suddenly he's in my head and I've lost the battle. If I didn't know I'm in a battle, it was a mental battle. I was fighting the wrong battle in the wrong way. So I never did it. I, 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 potentially there's $1,200 on the table. I'm like, that's not enough. Based on what I'm picturing in my head and like just being, anyway, I, I, no, it wouldn't be that. It'd be wrapping me up and just swinging me around. I was like, I can't do it. So here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine that there was, we go outside and there's an octagon. And I don't know who the ultimate fighters are right now. Or there's a boxer here and there's a boxer there. And they make a similar promise to you. Hey, if you fight me, I'll give you 75 cents. I'm not interested. My only reference is Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather, you know, last year. Like, I'm thinking, man, you step in that ring and you lose. You're walking away with a ton of money. If they go, hey, if you do that, instead of Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor, it's Floyd Mayweather and Doug Holcomb or Floyd, uh, Conor McGregor and Doug Holcomb. I'm like, 75 cents? No. But then if somebody similar and said, hey, you got to get through me because I got your kids. Well, I'll fight differently. There, there's something on the table. If it's about my family, oh, I'm... I, okay, I'm not interested in the money anymore. I'm not interested in your ability right now. I'm pretty sure you're going to have the height advantage just because it's me. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to take you, but I am not going to let you take them. And the thing is, we change how we fight when we understand what we're fighting for. And for many of us, we're in a fight. We don't know we're in a spiritual fight, but it is. So you got to know that. But also, you need to understand what you're fighting for. And when you're fighting for your faith, it matters more than you think, more than you can imagine, And God has given you everything you need to stand. But when you realize you're fighting for your faith, which means you're fighting for the influence you will have on anybody you will ever influence, 
including your family, your friends, your future spouse, whoever it is, how you fight your battle matters. And suddenly, I don't care about the dollars in this. I care about the people. I care about the heart of it. And I know what's at stake. And if you knew what was at stake in the battle, you would fight differently. That's exactly what Jesus did. When, he knew, when, when, we, when he's clear in telling us he knows what's at stake about why he goes to the cross and pursues us when we walk away from him, or why again and again and again he offers forgiveness and redemption when we go to the same stuff and lose those battles again and again and again, and he says, I'm not going anywhere, and there's a battle going on, but you decide who wins when you fully trust and put your life in me and put me at the center of your life. That's where the battle is won or lost. And when we don't know what kind of battle we're in or we don't know what's at stake, we take part of our life and we hold it back and say, I don't know if I trust you. What I'm telling you is there's nobody else that can win that battle for you, but you are at the center of deciding who wins that battle when you put your life in Christ and put him at the center of every situation in your life. Let's stand for closing prayer. And I know that some of you are in a battle right now, and so I don't want to pray specifically for you because we're fighting a lot of different battles. And quite often there are spiritual battles going on that we are so unaware of. Please know that God is fighting for you, and he's fighting with you. Jesus, thanks that we look to the cross and recognize, one, you can see your toughness, your grit, your determination to say, I'm not going to let anything get between me and my kids. That you died to offer us salvation, redemption, new life, because you would not turn your back on us when we turned our back on you. God, for many of us, we're, we're, we're in a battle and we feel like we're losing. Remind us that you're with us, that you promise you will, you will fight for us. We need only to stand. Help us stand square in our identity of who we are in Christ. And if anyone doubts that, I pray they would lean into you, pursue you for whatever battle we're fighting and help us not to fight it alone, to tell somebody, but of course, to reach out to you because you are our greatest resource in any battle we fight. We need you. Thanks that you've offered yourself for our battles. Help us to lean into you today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for being here. If you'd like to talk, I'll be down at the front.